We begin today our study of Megillas Esther, Perik Gimel, the book of Esther, chapter 3. I begin again by pointing out to you the irony of the fact that those of you who are studying along with us, Nachyomi, are studying the book of Esther during the nine days of mourning from Rosh Chodesh Av through Tishabov and a bit thereafter. Yesterday and the day before, we were introduced to the personalities of Ahasuerus, to an assortment of his uh, staff, ranging from the uh, Council of Memuchon to the supervisory uh, skills of Hege, in charge of the Beis Hanoshim, of the king's harem, uh, to others, Shashkaz, Vashti, etc. But especially, we were introduced to Mordechai and to Esther. But the, so the heroes and the major protagonists are already on stage. Missing from the stage at this point, up until this point, is the villain of the piece. And here he comes. And please, no groggers and no noise uh, when I mention his name. Sometime afterward, Gidal HaMelech HaChashverosh as Homon Ben Hamadosoho Agogi. King HaChashverosh promoted Homon, the son of Hamdosa, the Agogi, Agog being the king of the of Amalek, whose life was spared by Shaul, but he was killed by Shmuel Hanobi. So Haman is a exemplar and perhaps a paradigm of the evil nation, evil kingdom of Amalek. And he advanced him, he raised him high. And he seated him higher than any of the fellow officers or the fellow princes, ministers. We saw that the king has all sorts of servants, as we've seen in Prokim 1 and 2. But never was there a super servant, a, a viceroy, as it were. And here he is now in the person of Homon. So uh, advanced was he that that all the servants in the king who were in the Shar HaMelech and we pointed out yesterday that Shar HaMelech in Tanakh usually means the court, the place of justice, the place of the judiciary, high officials, jurists. So the Avdei HaMelech are no uh, lowly servants. They are the judges and the leaders and the principal advisors, but they that the king had commanded him, meaning commanded Haman, meaning gave the power to Haman to command that they all, all these subsidiary officials, bow to him and uh, kneel to him. Among those in the Shar HaMelech, as we saw, was Mordechai. 
but Mordechai would not kneel and would not bow. One can speculate on what did Ahasuerus see to now, at this particular point, suddenly promote Haman and create this new position. Wasn't he taking the risk of making other people jealous, etc.? And one can speculate in various ways. But it would seem obvious that, after all, the beginning of this Perek follows upon the heels of the end of last Perek when we read against the plot, the assassination plot, the palace intrigue against Ahasuerus, of big son Voseresh. And therefore this king, who was into until now quite public, quite available, making parties, being available to the people, open, out there, now realized that his life was in danger, that there were people out to get him. Yes, the plot, this plot of Big Son Voseresh was thwarted, but there will be other attempts at his life. And so he changed his style, and he withdrew. And as we will learn, he withdrew to the point that he couldn't be approached unless one had special permission, and that anyone who approached him without that permission was subject to death. So the king is now isolated, secluded, protected. But he needs some trusted person out there, the public face, the facade of the king who is now in hiding. And for that he appointed Haman. And this is Haman's role, to be out there in public to take the, the flack, as it were, for the king who is now ultra-protected. And Mordechai would not bow down. There was a great discussion among all the Mephorshim. Was Mordechai right for not bowing down? What would have been so terrible had he bowed down? Was he not invoking and inciting the wrath of Haman? Was he not putting all the Jewish people at, at risk because of his refusal, his stubborn refusal to bow to Haman? Is it not permissible to bow to another human being? Chazal, of course, say that bowing to Haman was equivalent to bowing to an idol. Either Haman himself was a representation of an idol, thought of himself as a god, or that he had embroidered or in some other way affixed to his uniform the images and the symbols of idolatry. And that's why Mordechai refused. In this refusal, Mordechai was following the example of his great-great-great-grandmother, Rochel. Remember the Pesach and Parshish Vayishlach. When Yaakov divided his wives and his children into several camps, and each of the camps separately approached Esau, who really was the great-great-great-grandfather of Haman. And the Pesach says, Vatigashno hashifochos heino v'yaldehen v'atishtachaveno. The Shefachos, Bilha, and Zilpah, they and their children, 
approached Esav and Vatishtach they in the feminine, they, Bilha and Zilpa, bowed down. It seemed that the children of Bilha and Zilpa perhaps did not bow to Esav. But then there was a second cap. This is in Parshas Vayishlach, Reishis, Laman Gimel, Psukim, Vov, and Zion. Vatigash kam Leah approached with her children. Vayishtachavu. And they all bowed. Leah bowed. And so did Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. Vi'achar. And after that, Nigash Yosef. Nigash in the singular. Yosef approached. And Rochel. Vayishtachavu. And they bowed. Did Rochel approach? Did Rochel bow? Not quite clear, but Chazal say. Rashi quotes it. Bichulon ho imahos nigshos lifnei habonim. In all cases, the mothers approached in front of the sons of the children. Avol Barochel Yosef nigash lifoneho. But for Rochel, Yosef came first. He blocked Esav's view, so that Esav could not see Rochel. And he did so, so that Rochel's beauty not attract Esau. And Yosef said, "Emod kenegdo." The words of Rashi there in Pashas Vayishlach Venu I will prevent Esau from seeing my mother. So he was tall enough, or he was made tall, to conceal her. And we can therefore assume as many Mufarshim do, that Rochel did not bow. Rochel was not seen by Esau. Why should she bow? So she presents the model that Mordechai, her great-great-great-grandson, was following in not bowing to Haman. The Pesach continues. Vayomru avdei ha-melech asher b'shar ha-melech l'mordechai. The servants of the king in the gate of the king, in the judiciary supreme court, said to Mordechai, who was their colleague, Madua ato veres eis mitzvah ha-melech. Why are you violating the king's command? Vayihi ko'omro me'lov yom v'yom. And behold, every day, they asked him again and again and again, why are you violating the king's command? He didn't listen to them. And therefore they snitched to Haman. They told Haman, not only is he not bowing down to you, which you obviously see, but he is not listening to our counsel when we ask him, why are you disobeying the king? And they did this because they wanted to determine Hayamdu divrei Mordechai. Would Mordechai's position remain secure? Mordechai told them, his colleagues in the Shar HaMelech, that he was a Jew. There is a, a fascinating comparison between Mordechai's refusal to respond to the constant pestering of the other Avdei HaMelech, 
What does this remind us of? It should remind us of the character of Yosef, who was also approached day in and day out by the wife of Futifa. Every day she tried to seduce him. Note the comparison. Megillas Esther, our posuk dalad vayihika omro melov yom vayom velo shoma aleim, and the posuk in Parshas vayeshe brachas lametes posuk yud vayihika dabro al Yosef yom yom velo shoma aleim. There's a precedent for everything that Mordechai does, and here the precedent is Yosef, his not great 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 grandfather, but certainly his great 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 uncle. Haman saw that Mordechai was not bowing to him. And Haman was full of anger. It was a bizayon to him. It was too low to him. It was not sufficient to him. He disdained to lay hands upon Mordechai alone. He thought perhaps, why stop with Mordechai? I can go beyond Mordechai to the people that Mordechai represents. Well, he was afraid that if he would just single out Mordechai as a target, perhaps Achashverosh would remember that Mordechai was responsible for saving his Achashverosh's life. And so therefore, Haman didn't focus only on Mordechai, but he broadened his net. He spread his net. They told him, Mordechai's erstwhile colleagues on the Supreme Court told Haman, not only does Mordechai refuse to listen to us when we ask him why he is disobeying the king, but let's tell me tell you something else about this Mordechai. We happen to know he told us he is a Jew. He is part of Am Mordechai. And then, Haman now wanted to destroy, to eradicate all of the Jews in the entire kingdom of Medina. He was going to kill them all. And he even picked a date. He picked the date, which is a, an important month for all of us, the month of Pesach, the month of Geula. And he picked the date, Nisan, in the twelfth year of the reign of Achashverosh. He peeled poor, and that day he cast lots, which is a good day, a good month, which would be propitious, which would be a schooler, as it was, would be just the right time to destroy the Jews. So he cast lots on this day, in the, during this month of Nisan. He pilpur hu hagoro, lifnei homon, miyom liyom, he tried different days, is a Tuesday a good day, is a Wednesday a good day, the 13th of the month, the 27th of the month. Umei chodesh lechodesh, which month is a good month? And finally he decided upon a month, 
Chodesh Chodesh So 11 months down the road is his designated date for the genocide he wanted to perpetrate upon the Jewish people. <clears throat> I want you to notice that just as Mordechai in not bowing down was following his ancestress Rochel and in not submitting to the daily arguments persuasions of the other Avdeh HaMelech and the Shar HaMelech was following the precedent of Yosef so too Homon was following the precedent of his ancestor Vayivez Be'enov L'Shloach Yod of whom else does it say Vayivez and he disdained of Esav Pashas told us Bereshus Chafei Pashuk Lamedalet Vayivez Esav Esabachorah Esav scorned, he mocked, he degraded, he disdained the Bechorah. Again, as Chazal put it, Bazui ben Bazui. He disdained the son, the, the, the um, descendant of a disdainer. Vayivez Bienov, Vayivez Esav, Esav Bechorah. Different uh, quality to Mordechai and to Homan. Mordechai is proud and courageous. Esav and Homon are disdainful, are condescending, are cheapen things. Chazal, of course, go into detail in Mordechai's Megillah and the Midrashim as to why the other months did not find favor in the eyes of Homon. Nisan, Pesach, Zechus, Sivan, Zechus HaTorah, of the Zechus of Tisha B'Av, which one day will be a happy day. The, the Zechus of Elul was the fact, Nechemia, Perik Vov, Posuk Tesvov, Vatishlam HaChomo B'Esrim V'Chamisho Elul. Elul is the anniversary of the renewal of the walls of the city of Yerushalayim, the walls of the Beis HaMikdash. And so, we uh, he went from month to month and found that every month was had something wrong with it and then decided something wrong with it from his perspective and then decided upon Ador. Decided upon Ador. He thought Ador, there's no Yom Tif in Ador. Forgetting, of course, that during the month of Ador, Moshe Rabbeinu died, but Moshe Rabbeinu was born in Ador. So Ador had its Segula too. Ador had its good fortune connected to it, but he wasn't aware of it. Some say that he consulted the um, astrological charts, and he said, which uh, zodiac sign is the right one for me to try to kill the Jews? And he went through all of them, and then finally found that the month of Ador, which is usually Pisces, usually the fish, Ador is the fish, Pisces, fish have no zechus. The sheep, the ox have zechusim, uh, carbonos, dogim, no. And he said, fish, adors, zodiac sign. Kishem shehadogim nivloim, just like fish are swallowed up by other fish. Kach soni Yisrael nivloim. 
so the Jewish people will be swallowed up. They are, they are caught, they are trapped in my hands as a fish is trapped. God said, No, they are not in your hands. Because fish eat fish. There are those fish which are swallowed up, but there are the larger fish which swallow them. Sometimes the, swish, the fish is the swallower. And sometimes the fish is the swallowed. You too will be swallowed like a fish. Not that you will swallow the Jews like a fish. The apostle continues. Shomon said to the king, There is one nation scattered and dispersed among other peoples. In all of the provinces of your kingdom. This is a peculiar people. Their laws are different from those of any other people. They have their own laws. They don't keep your laws. It is not in your interest to tolerate them. And therefore, Imhala Melech Tov suggests Haman. If it be pleasing to you, let it be written, write another letter, like the one you sent out about each man being so rare, write another letter to destroy the Jews. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the stewards for deposit in the royal treasury. The king, without consultation, without going to his committees and his advisors, as he did when he was considering what to do with Vashti, the king impetuously, impulsively, without thought, done deal. He removed his, his ring, very powerful symbol, the removal of the ring, and he gave that ring the Ringa, which which is the symbol of ultimate authority, authority over the lives of men. And he gave it to Haman, the foe, the enemy of the Jews. And not only that, but the king said, the heck with the money. The money is yours. And so are the people yours to do with as you see fit. So the king rather enthusiastically adopts Haman's suggestion. Chazal, Gemorah Meseches Megillah, compare the discussion here between Ahasuerus and Haman to the following marshal. What can we compare this dialogue here between Achashverosh and Homon? The Shnei B'nei Adam, a beautiful, beautiful image, beautiful in a tragic sense. Imagine two people. One has a big mound in his field, but he doesn't want the mound. He'd like to have a flat surface upon which he can plow and plant. But he has his hill. 
Another person that's a big ditch in the middle of his field, which he would like to fill. So one person has too much earth, the other has too little. The one with the hill is willing to pay for the removal of his extra dirt to be put into some ditch somewhere. And the Balacharitz who's looking for soil is willing to pay for that soil. So you have these two people, each with a problem, each willing to pay to have the problem resolved. They don't know about each other. And one day they meet. And they meet and they say, oh, Your problem is my solution. My problem is your solution. The man with a ditch said to the man with the mound, Sell me your mound so that I can use it to stuff up my ditch. The owner of the mound says, Take it for nothing. I just want to get rid of it. So too, Haman is willing to pay Achashverosh to eradicate the Jews. And Achashverosh says, are you kidding? You don't have to pay me. <laughs> You're doing me a favor by getting rid of them. And how can we not, how can this not recall to us that curse which we learn in Parshas Kisav over Hismakartem that you will be sold to your enemies as slaves and no one will even want to buy you. Here we have it. Akashverosh doesn't even want to to take money to get rid of the Jews. He just wants to get rid of them. And so on that day in Nisan, the scribes of the king were called, were invited. The 13th day of Nisan, Mishlosha also Yombo, remember, 13th of Nisan, just before Pesach. And everything that uh, Haman uh, had suggested, um, had directed, was issued, was decree was issued to the king's governors, to the uh, rulers, to the noblemen, to the officials of every people. Each province in its own handwriting, in its own script. Each nation in its own language. All done, written in the name of the king, and sealed with the king's seal, with the king's ring, with the king's signet. And what did it say? And written instructions were dispatched by couriers to all the king's provinces. To destroy. Laharog to massacre, Ula Abed and to exterminate, as Kol Hayehudim, all the Jewish people. Minavi Adzokein, young and old, Taf Venoshim, children and women, Biyom Echod, Bishlosha Oso Lechodesh Demos Oso Lechodesh Ador. Eleven months hence, from from thirteenth of Nisan to the thirteenth of Ador, Ushalolom Lavoz, and to plunder their possessions. Hashmid laharogula abeid taf noshim biyom echad.
first designed, planned genocide. But notice, these words, the genocidal aspect, is only in this uh, command, this decree, which is sent to the upper class, to the rulers. What about to the plain people? Pashegen Haksov. The text of the document was to the effect that it should be proclaimed in every single province. Publicly displayed to all the people Chazal seemed to say that the nobility, the Achashtarpanim and the Pachos and the Sorei Hamadinos, they knew the full intent of this genocidal plan. However, the Pashegen Haksov that which was revealed to all the people was much more obscure. It didn't say specifically genocide. It was mu'urpal. It was a little vague. They weren't sure what this meant. It didn't say so clearly in their version, in the public version, as it said in the version that was known to the nobility. <clears throat> this is these are the words of the Vilna Gon in his commentary. He was afraid to let everyone know about his genocidal intent. And therefore, he let the general staff, he let the upper class know about his plans of genocide. All this Pashegen said is, people, the masses, be ready on that day. It's a special day. Get ready. He didn't want to disclose. He was afraid to disclose genocide to the masses. And that's the meaning of the Yos Asidim Layom Hazeh. To be ready. And then we'll tell you what to do. And this suggests that Vilnagon is why the next posuk it says, The runners, the couriers, went out post haste quickly at the king's command. And the decree was proclaimed in Shushan. The king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Shushan was dumbfounded, was stunned. And the Gon is suggesting, Vilna Gon, why was it Navocha? Because the people did not know what they were supposed to do. They had this puzzle of a Pashegen Haksov before them. One must focus on these words toward the end of Pasuk Tesvav. 
the king and Haman sat down to drink. They had just decided to wipe out an entire people, old and young, men and women, children. They were going to wipe them all out. And just after that, they could sit down to drink. Is that possible? Is that possible? Such a horror. And the images come to mind, pictures, photographs, which we actually have, which I've seen, of the high command, Hitler's high command, sitting and feasting in Treblinka while the fires consuming the bodies of the people killed there, the Jews killed there, were still burning. They sat and played their music, the music of, of the Wagners of the world, and over the dead bodies, the dying bodies of the Jewish people. And here too, Hamelech v'hamon yoshulishtos. However, one must seriously and candidly say that the Jewish people were, at one point in history were guilty of the same thing. Yalkut, Omer of Chanino, God eventually, after many generations, collects his debt. God said to the tribes of Israel, You sold Yosef into slavery, and what did you do after you sold him? You sat down to eat and drink. You sold your brother into slavery and you had a, into slavery and then you had a party. One day you, it's going to happen to you. Haman bought you in the midst of a feast. Pokeid avon ofos al bonim. And at this sad note, this tragic note, Oir Shushan read to the tune of Echa, which we were studying this on Monday of the nine days. This Thursday will be Tishabov, and we will read, we will hear the melody which on Purim we hear right here. This is the end of chapter Gimel of Megillas Esther. Tomorrow we'll turn our attention to chapter 4, the rest of the story.